that song is very, very helpful for me just as a someone who's standing up uh, preaching God's word because I'm reminded week by week how insufficient I am for this task and not in some self-introspective way, but just as a, a human that, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy of this task, but every week God asks me to stand up and do it. So I'm just reminded uh, of that. Maybe that's an encouragement to you that the Lord is the one who holds us fast. It's not, it's not our ability to hold on to him, it's his ability to hold on to us. Um, so maybe that's an encouragement for you this morning. Uh, you can turn where we're going to be hearing God's word today uh, from Matthew chapter 4. Uh, it's on page 664 in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to take the copy that's in front of you. Uh, page 664, it's Matthew chapter 4, and we'll be doing verses 12 through 19, I think, today. So let's, let's hear God's word, and then I'll pray for us. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let's pray. God, I ask this morning that you would enlarge our hearts to see you for who you are. Enlarge our hearts to love you more. Enlarge our hearts to be attentive. Remove all distraction from us this morning that we may hear what you have said in your word and we may respond in faith. Give us the eyes of faith and a heart that's tender toward you. We can't do this in ourselves. We're asking for literally the impossible week after week. So Lord, I ask that you do that in us. We pray, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The title for today's talk is, in, is entitled, The Calling of the Christian, and it's Darkness to Light calling of the Christian, darkness to light. Now, I want to ask you a question before I jump into this. It's one to maybe make you think for a second. If I were to ask you who the greatest missionary of all time is, who would you answer? Naturally, names like William Carey come to mind, Hudson Taylor. We We could sit and we could name lots and lots of different missionaries. But I wonder why we never consider that the first missionary was Jesus. 
that the first missionary that has ever started the missions, <laughs> missions in that sense as we understand it, is Jesus Christ. I'm not sure why that is. I, I think I have a, a reason, and I'll explain to you in a second. But Jesus Christ was a missionary in every sense of the term, except for the, the mission was himself. The mission was, he was not only the missionary, he was the message that he was bringing. So that's the, the big difference. I think that's why we don't consider Christ as the first and greatest missionary. But I want us to see today that, that Christ really is the greatest missionary. And I want you to see it, 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 it means a lot for us. Because that means that if he's the greatest missionary, that means that every person that has brought us the, the message of the gospel and received it, that means we continually hear the message that, that Christ is bringing to us. So I want you to see first, if you're taking notes there, that Christ is the great missionary in his identity, in who he is. So it's Christ, the great missionary, in his identity. And at the heart of Jesus is this missional identity. And it first starts, so not only is he a missionary in who he is, he's a missionary in every capacity. And here's why. He's a missionary first because of who sent him. So he's sent, and as we've seen, this is kind of a review, but he's sent from the Father. So the person who's sending the Son is the Father. And this is what he says in Luke 4, 43. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. At the very heart of Christ, he is sent in that sense. And I think that some of that's pretty simple for us. Or Mark, take Mark, take Mark chapter 1, when he says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of heaven of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So he's sent from the Father, he's also empowered by the Spirit. Remember what we saw last week or a couple weeks ago, which is Christ in the wilderness, in the temptation of the wilderness, he comes out of the wilderness, and he's empowered by the Spirit. He's empowered by the Spirit. Luke 4, again, 13 through 15, this is, what, this is Luke's account. He goes on to say, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And we see there, he's empowered by the Spirit. So he's sent from the Father, and he's empowered by the Spirit but he's also the king of his kingdom. He's the king of his kingdom. And some of this is just review. I know it's, it's just review, but I want, to, I want us at least to sit in our minds as we're doing this. Now, Matthew wants us to see, he said from the beginning of his gospel, here's the king. The king has come, and we, we see now that he's sent from the Father, he's empowered by the Spirit, and he's coming as the king of his kingdom. So now if you turn, if you're looking at Matthew 4, now notice what happens in verse 12, what starts to happen. And it says, so keep all that in your brain, that's, he's the missionary in who he is, but he's also the missionary in what he does. Now notice what happens in verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, now you, when you now I've heard a lot of even commentators, they'll be like, when, now notice what Jesus does. It looks like, and go ahead and read the rest of verse 12, he withdrew into Galilee. 
I think that's really interesting that, that John's beheaded and Jesus rather than we would think, I think what we typically think of Jesus is we think he hears John's beheaded, he probably charges in, right? No, that's, that's not necessarily what, what Jesus is going to do. He's, he actually withdraws. But why? why? Why would he do that? Some would, say, some would say actually from this that Jesus was a coward. This is actually the reason why Christ is a coward. And I want, you, want to remind you why John was arrested. John was arrested, as Matthew 3, 14 tells us, for Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, brother's wife, his brother Philip's wife, who he had taken. Because John had been saying, it's not lawful for you to be with her. Okay, so it, it appears at some level that, that maybe Jesus was actually very timid. Maybe he was a coward, actually. Maybe, maybe he's withdrawing because he's afraid. But I would argue he's not He's not afraid. That is not at all what's happening here. Actually, he's being committed to the Father's plan, but it's not going to be on Herod's timetable. It's going to be on, it's going to be on his Father's timetable, as John tells us. Jesus knew that the hour had not yet come, so it says that he withdrew. And I want us to see, if you're taking notes there, um, if you look at the top, this is what I want us to see today. You get nothing else from today. Get this. That our great missionary has been sent empowered and commissioned to, draw, to dawn the light of the good news into the darkest places. This good news calls us to apprentice under the King of Kings. And I want us to unpack that, that statement. So Christ is a great missionary, not only in His identity, but He's also the great missionary in His action. Notice what He does. So not only does it say in verse 12, you can jump back to verse 12, he says, now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went down and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the, area, in the territory of Zebulun, which would be Nazareth, and Naphtali, which would be Capernaum. Now notice what he says. So he not only, I could go on to verse 14 too so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Now that phrase, like the fulfillment of Scripture, has been used already five times in Matthew. This is the fifth time we see Matthew tell us again, this happened because Scripture needed to be fulfilled. So it looks like Jesus is withdrawing, like he's a coward. But Matthew sees it and he says, no, 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 no. This is not a cowardice move. This is a fulfillment of Scripture. And he goes to live in the land of Nazareth and of Capernaum. And if you're reading your Bible, like we've talked about before, Matthew, anytime we see Matthew say something's fulfilled, we should see him going like this in the back to us. We should see him going, hey, this is, this is really important. Tune in. Tune into this, okay? Just like picture a, a guy who can't wink like me standing up there going, this has been fulfilled. And he's quoting Notice where he quotes from. If you're looking in your Bible, you should have a footnote there that says Isaiah chapter 9, which, which is what uh, Jeremiah read for us today. And he quotes from Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. And this is what the quote says. Uh, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Now, I want to remind you just a brief history. If you're like me, you probably don't remember Israel's history. <laughs> Let me give you a brief history of it. 
So what you have is you have, in David's time, you have a kingdom split. You have the northern kingdom, and then you have the southern kingdom. And what happened with the northern kingdom is when they began to go into idolatry, you remember what happens in Isaiah, they're told there's gonna, the, the people of Assyria are going to come and they're going to destroy you. They're going to wipe you off the map. And I want you to think about if you lived, I mean, obviously we, don't, we live in America where we're Americans, we love freedom, so we don't really know what it feels like to be pillaged. But I want you to think about what it would be like if we lived here in Kaiser and someone came and pillaged us. They came and took our families, our grandparents, our parents, every, all our heritage they removed. And not only did they remove it, but they took in foreigners and they brought them to live here. You could imagine the kind of disgrace, and, and not only disgrace, but the utter frustration that would be from that. And that's what Isaiah's, Isaiah here is even referencing. He's referencing, he's saying, the Galilee of the Gentiles, Zebulun and Naphtali, you are the very heart of the darkness of the exile in that way. And now notice where Jesus goes, the first place he goes in his mission. He goes to the darkest of the darkest places. Those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. So that's, that's what I want you to notice. And this is why I say that Christ is a great missionary. So he's a great missionary by his identity. He's a great missionary by his action. Here's his first action. He goes into the darkness. He goes into the darkness. Now the land, the land that Isaiah is referring to is the land that should bring to our mind a kind of disgrace and a kind of death and judgment that has lived in this place for, for thousands of years. But I, wanna, I have a question for us. What does this darkness represent? I want you to think about what that would be like. Living in a land that's been pillaged. The darkness represents the fact that the God's promises look like they're not happening for you. The darkness represents the fact that you're under a literal oppression by people who, who in Jesus' day would have been uh, the Romans. The shadow of darkness represents not only the, the physical darkness, but also the spiritual darkness. There's a kind of darkness that represents what happens when, a, when the people of Israel followed after the world. And the shadow of darkness represents ultimately what it looks like for every other person to give their allegiance to everything other than God. The shadow of darkness could be a good summary of what it means to dwell in the world of sin, to live under the power and the reign and the rule of sin. And this is the place that Jesus, in his ministry, goes. The kind of place that... We, we see them in other parts of the world. They'd be the parts that only the rejects go to that town. Only the people who are real losers live there. And this is where Jesus goes. This is the heart of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 16 again. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So not only does he just go into the darkness... He brings the light of himself. So he brings the light of the good news. That's the second thing he does. So not only does he go into the darkness, but he brings the light of the good news. And you've got to remember, the people of Israel, after the exile, 
were drastically downtrodden. And the great light that Matthew sees here is Christ himself coming to Galilee. Now, I want you to think for a second. If you lived in the land of Zebulun, or of, of Naphtali, and you lived in a world and a realm of great darkness, political darkness, every kind of darkness you can imagine, and someone said to you, hey, light's coming, what would that look like for you? It probably would look like, I don't know, no longer in, in bondage to the political powers that be. It probably would look like, we could probably come up with a list of things of what it would look like. But notice what happens. Jesus doesn't come in with an army. He doesn't come in and say, hey, I'm going to destroy the people who are over you. (laughs) Nope, not at all. What's he do? What's he come and say? Notice what he says. Jump down to verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we have to ask, what is this light that Christ is bringing? Well, the light looks very, very similar to what John the Baptist was actually preparing them for. Remember what he said? He said that Jesus literally quotes even from what John the Baptist has been saying. The Baptist has been saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, it's at hand. And as we saw a couple weeks ago, the kingdom of God is not a place and it's not a people. It's a rule. It's a reign. It's the reality that God's kingdom is here in the ruling and reigning, and yet it's not yet here. And so when we hear Jesus saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we need to hear the most political terms possible. We need to hear the most political, political, and theological, spiritual reality that could possibly be. The repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The people who once sat in darkness and the shambles of persecution and destruction, they will be the first to see the beauty of the gospel shine upon them. And the message is actually repent. Turn from trusting and trusting and longing for other political, political and spiritual leadership and come to me, is what Jesus is saying. So Christ is the great missionary by his identity. Christ is the great missionary by his action. And I want us to see finally that Christ is the great missionary because of his message. Christ is the great missionary because of his message. To be considered a missionary, it's necessary that Jesus bear a message. And I want you to hear his message one more time. Repent. For the kingdom or the rule and reign of God is here. So his message actually has several parts to it, and I want you to see it in this order. His message is repentance. His message is repentance. Now, repentance, if you remember, is not feeling sorry for our sin. Repentance is not just simply changing our mind. Repentance is a sorrowful changing of mind that leads to a change of direction. And that's what he's calling them toward. It's not just being sorry, and it's not just changing your mind. It's all three combined. Changing your mind, changing your direction, and moving after Christ. And his message is for Israel to turn from the sin of trusting their own path and going forward and following King Jesus. The light of the gospel has become clear, and it's seen in the face of Jesus Christ. 
And I give you just a couple other references. John 1, 4 through 5 says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A few verses later, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And it's the same light that Paul talks about later when he says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, what does all this mean for us? I spent the majority of our time looking at the reality that Christ is the great missionary in who he is, in what he does, and the message he brings. But what does that all mean for us? Let me give you a couple ways. I use this illustration with college students a lot because I think it's very applicable, but I'll give it for you as well. To live as a Christian in the 21st century I'm fearful that what oftentimes we hear when people hear, repent, come to Jesus, what they hear is we think about, if you think about this as your life, the amount of time you commit to things, whatnot, so you have money, you're concerned about some money, you have school, you have free time, here's your sexuality, your social life, and what they hear, I'm fearful this is what happens, that when people hear, hey, come to Jesus, what they hear is they just hear, let me increase the God slice of my pie. Okay? That's what they hear. They think, okay, repent, turn, turn, become a Christian, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. What I need to do is I need to increase the God piece of my pie. I'll contend with you that that's actually not what it means to be a Christian at all. But actually, if you go on to the next slide, what I want us to see is that God, or, or what Christ is calling us actually to, is actually to turn from trusting or believing or, and, and living in such a way that that pie is up to us to decide. So I like to call this one, rather than a pie, I like to call it an avocado, okay? Where actually what it means is that, now, now it's, the, the illustration falls apart, or you could think about it like a pie. Think about Christ being the pie pan, okay? It touches everything, touches the whole thing, okay? But I like the avocado because it makes me laugh. The avocado, what I mean by that is you have, here's, here's some free time, and here's your school, and here's your sexuality, and here's your money, and here's your social life, rather than trying to just say, hey, I, Jesus just needs a little more of your time. Actually, what he's saying here is, I want it all. I, I, hope, I hope you see the, just the seriousness of what this is. He's not saying, I just want just a little more of your time. He's saying, I want the whole daggone pie. I want the whole avocado. You don't get to say, oh, my school, I, I get to just do school however I want to do school. Or I get to do my work or however, however I jolly well please. No. What Christ, when we hear Jesus say to them, repent for the kingdom, the reign and rule of God is here. Hear him say, this is the life I want. Not, not the first one. Go back to the first one. Again, we, we can all think about, I can give example after example of what, how we try to like, oh, well, I, I need to give more to God. Okay, well, the God piece, it gets a little bigger. That's not what he's calling us to. He's saying that the whole pie is his. Turn from any, any trusting that any of those things will deliver you. And literally, the pie, it's all his. Our money is not for us. We spend it on him in that sense. It's, uh, no matter how, what we spend it on, it's actually his. It's not ours anymore. 
We don't just make more time for God. All that we do is worship. Everything. So his message is first repentance. But I want you to see as well, before, I, before we move on from this, that first Peter passage we, we heard this morning. He says again, I want you to hear it again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Do you, do you hear that? This is, this is language of not, well, you just get to add Jesus to the, to the rest of the pie of your life. This is actually, no, he's the center by which everything else finds, finds its reality. Here's the purpose, though, verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So you have to first realize at some level that you were one or still are one who's in the darkness. So I hope that's helpful, that pie chart. I I use that a lot and I like it. I think it's very helpful. But we need to ask, where does this repentance lead? So if this repentance is, if the repentance is him beginning to blow up our lives, put himself at the center of it all, then where does the repentance lead? I want to look down in verse 18 actually verse 18 and 19, and see where it leads. I think this is very interesting. When he calls the first disciples, this is what he says. This is what Matthew says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Okay, now, before we, before we go on, he knew Peter and, and Andrew prior to this, okay? We actually see evidence of it uh, in... in um, in John's gospel, uh, we see that actually um, Simon is called Peter because Jesus calls him Peter, actually, the first time. So they knew each other prior to this. But I want you to notice that just the, the, the uniqueness of this. So he goes on, he says, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I want you to notice where this repentance leads. Here's where it leads. It leads us to follow after him. His message is to follow after him. Now, this is very unique because the rabbis of the day were were teachers of the law who would be people who would actually, it would almost be like applying to university to follow a rabbi. So rather than the rabbi coming and saying, hey, you come follow me, it would actually be that you would need to actually go apply, and you would ask the rabbi, hey, can I follow you? And he would say, yeah, sure, yeah, you can follow me. But notice what Jesus does. He flips this completely on his head. And he actually comes and he says, he doesn't do this willy-nilly either. He comes and he sees two men that he knows, he has been knowing, and he comes and he says, Simon, Andrew, follow me. You two, right there, come follow me. He calls them out specifically, and he says, you, you two, follow me. But what does it mean to follow after Jesus? Now, for them, in their time, it would literally have meant, hey, stop what you're doing and come follow me. (laughs) For us, it looks a little different, doesn't it? To follow after Jesus means we must first understand what it means to follow anything at all. And ultimately, I would put it that it, it means we give ultimate allegiance to that the rule and reign of God has so affected us that we are following after Christ in all that we do. 
To follow after the world, and actually the shadow of darkness like we saw earlier, is to give ultimate allegiance to that thing. But to follow Christ is the same thing for him. So when you hear Jesus offering to these specific fishermen, follow me, verse 19, hear him saying, inviting them in a new way to live. The the way you used to know, Simon and Andrew, it's over. Come follow me. Hear him inviting them to step into the new rule and reign. Hear him inviting them to live under the reign of King Jesus. I have a definition for us, and I want to put it up here, and it will be up here for next week as well. But a disciple, that we use that word a lot, but I want to remind you, a disciple is someone who worships Jesus, is changed by Jesus, and obeys Jesus. Now, we're going to talk more about this next week, but I want to at least have it in front of you. These men weren't disciples prior to this. But now he's saying, follow me. Come follow after me. Or as he says in Matthew 11, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the the back half of this message is to talk about apprenticeship to Jesus, okay? And, and by apprenticeship, I simply mean being a disciple, the, the process of becoming a disciple in that sense. And I use the word apprentice because it's, it's actually a word that, that we understand in our society, okay? Uh, the, the best example we can think of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus would be an apprentice. Apprentice is someone who follows a teacher to learn a trade uh, we see this in professions like bricklaying, electrician, being an electrician. You don't just walk in and, thankfully, we don't just walk in and let people start wiring things up. That's a good thing. We should be rejoicing over that. An apprentice initially knows nothing. An apprentice comes in and he has no clue about what the, the skill he's getting ready to learn. This is not like a job like McDonald's. We don't call McDonald's, hey, look, they're starting their apprenticeship at McDonald's. No, it's a different kind of work in that way. An apprenticeship, though, is saying, I knew nothing, but I'm going to live now and learn this trade. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to change my whole life just to learn this trade so I know how to live differently. And Jesus is calling these disciples in a similar way. He's saying, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I love what David Platt says. He says, followers of Jesus are not simply casual or even convinced listeners We are committed learners and followers. Do you hear that? We're not just convinced. We're not casual. We're not just convinced. We're not just committed. We are committed learners and committed followers. And this is more more than a message of how to enter the kingdom of heaven for the first time. This is more than a message of how to just get saved. This is a message of come and submit your life to Christ forever. So they ask this question then, how would the rule of Jesus or the exercise of Jesus being the ruler of our life look for the Christian? I love what Tim Keller, he he used to joke. He said, what makes a pilot different than a Christian pilot? And he says, land the plane. (laughs) What he means by that is that all our profession, 
everything we do. This doesn't mean that we all just need to sell all that we have and become pastors. This means that in everything we do, we do it as a Christian. We do it with excellence. We do it for the glory of God. We don't do it no longer for us as ruler or us as Lord. We do it for God and His glory. The kingdom of God coming near means that all of life is now under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, I I would argue that we don't refer to Christ typically as a missionary for this reason. Now, finally, I want us to close with this. Typically, when we talk about a missionary, what we're talking about is the missionary is actually the one who brings a message. And the difference between Christ and every missionary that has ever been is that Christ is the message himself. A missionary comes and says, hey, let me tell you about a guy I know. He's saying, let me tell you about myself. Do you, do you see the, the political, the, the absolute, if, if he's not who he says he is, the absolute arrogance of what he's saying? He's saying, let me come tell you about myself. Now, if I tell you that, that's bad. That's sinful and self-centered and idolatry. He says, let me come tell you about myself and follow me. His message is himself. Jesus is the first and only missionary who could be a missionary who says, let me tell you about me and it not be idolatry. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus was the first missionary sent to tell us about what it means to live under the rule and reign of God. I was reading, we'll, we'll, we'll end here. And the next week we'll pick up uh, in verse 19. But I was reading last night, uh, especially last night, to my son. Sometimes when I'm reading, we read a little book called uh, Little Pilgrim Big Journey. And it's uh, a, a book uh, that's a children's version of Pilgrim's Progress. And I found it very, actually very striking last night in the story that we heard. If you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian is a man who lives in the city of destruction. And he takes his journey to the celestial city. But then Christian has, in Pilgrim's Progress, it's his wife. In this little version, it's his sister. Uh, But his sister, Christiana, begins to, in the second volume, actually begins to follow Jesus. And they get to somewhere called the Interpreter's House. And I found it very striking as I read it. I'm just going to read it for you. Uh, And they finish their meal, and the Interpreter, he brings them into this room. And he shows them a a bed, and this royal palace, if you will. And it says this, when they finished their meals, interpreter took them to the finest room in the house. It looked like a king's bedroom full of beautiful artwork and furniture. And then it says, the children were surprised to see, and then as they looked in the room, they see a spider in the upper hand corner. The children were surprised to see a big, ugly spider making a web in the corner. Jude, one of the kids, asked, why is there a spider in this great room? The interpreter says, oh, let me explain it to you, basically. One of the children then speaks up and says, even spiders can, t- he says, even spiders can teach men the way to heaven. And then he says, they are full of venom, the most despised of creatures, but they're bold enough to enter a king's palace. And Christiana pipes up and she says, we are like the spiders. She goes on, just as a spider is full of venom, we are full of sin. Why would the king ever let us into his kingdom? Here's the question. This is beautiful. Interpreter answered, The king has promised 
to all who trust in him and turn from their evil ways, no matter how evil or full of sin we are, by faith we can enter the king's house, even into the best rooms. Oh, let not our venom of sin deject us while there is grace to cleanse us. And I want you to hear even today, this is the message of Jesus. This is the message. Just like that spider in that beautiful room sits in the upper hand corner. Beautiful room. The spider is the most despised of all the creatures. Full of venom. But he says, as the spider clings to the wall by faith, he gets to follow Jesus in that sense. And I want us to see that that's the same thing that we see with these men, where Jesus calls out to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Hear him say, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the offer for for all, all those who come to him. Come and cling to Christ. Come and cling to him. Follow him. Become an apprentice of Christ in that sense. And we do so by repenting and believing in on His name. So I want us to turn now. Um, I want us to pray for us as we consider what we've heard here this morning. Christ, our great missionary, has come. And the question we should ask is, are we following Him? Are we trusting Him? Are we, are we walking? Are we submitting ourselves day by day to His Lordship? So just take a minute and consider that, and I'll pray for us.